The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights from the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. We have a very special guest. His name is Tony Rodriguez. He claims to have been recruited into the 20 and back secret space program, working off planet, been to the moon, been to Mars, been to Ceres, worked in all areas, spent 20 years of his life there and in a cloned body and claims he came back. His consciousness was put back into his body as a nine or 10 year old, whenever he kind of went to sleep when this originally happened to him. And he's here today on Guys Guys Radio to tell this incredible story. And what I do, as you know, on Guys Guys Radio, I bring you guests who get us to think and get us to consider what they're having to say and kind of not just but the words, what's behind it, what are the concepts, what's underlying this? Is there anything here I can use in my to help me with my perspective and my life? And that's what we're doing here on Guys Guys Radio. And Tony was on the show way back when, before we were on KCAA or YouTube or Rumble. We were doing something with Blog Talk Radio back when. And Tony was a guest then, and he, there was a huge response. And I want to have him come back to the show now, because now we've got KCAA, we've got the Worldwide Podcast, we've got YouTube, we've got Rumble, we've got all kinds of social media. And I think Tony's story is worth being told. And the interesting thing is, with his claims that you could say are like really out not only outrageous, but out of this world, is that Tony has been talking about this for the past, I don't know, about seven years or so, and he's finding out that there's a lot more folks out there who have shared similar experiences as he has shared. The other interesting thing about Tony Rodriguez is that he did not kind of raise his hand to sign up for this program. He was kind of placed into it as a, and he'll tell the story, but kind of as a punishment, He did some training in Seattle and Peru and had to be involved in some practices that aren't aren't very good and then was sent to the moon and also sent to Mars and also sent to Ceres where he worked and was trained in all three locations before coming back to Earth 20 years and then regaining his 20 years in what's called the 20 and back program. His memory was wiped. And somehow, over time, he started to get his memories back as to where he was and what happened. He's written a book about it. We're going to talk about that. We'll probably have him back on the show because there's just so much he has to share. And it's interesting, and I'll ask him about this, like, why is he allowed to talk about this stuff? Because it's so outrageous and out of this world. And Tony's going to explain that to us. And he has a clear head about himself. And obviously, he's been through some tough circumstances, as you will hear but he's a terrific guest, and he's got a very important story to tell. He's been all over uh, media. He's been on Gaia. There's a lot of other folks who've had similar and tangentially similar experiences as Tony has had working in the secret space program off-planet. And so if you're open-minded and you're interested, 
This is the perfect show for you today on Guys Guys Radio. We're going to go off planet. We're going to go all over the world and the universe with our special guest, Tony Rodriguez. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's get to it right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, interview portion of the show. We've got a very special guest. A couple of years ago, my guest was on the show when we were just on Blog Talk Radio, I believe. And we had a great audience reaction. He's got a really very different, very compelling, very powerful story to tell. His name is Tony Rodriguez. He's a 20-year tour experiencer. That means he went out into space for 20 years and came back. His consciousness was moved into a cloned body. He had a lot of experiences in different areas of space. We're going to get into all of that. He came back and somehow through an MRI, some of his memories came back to him that were supposedly wiped. I know this sounds fantastical and really out there and This is new information for a lot of folks. So just listen with an open mind. We're going to have a great conversation. Tony's book that's out now is an autobiography. It's called Series Colony Cavalier because he was in Series, which is out in an asteroid belt way out in space. He's the co-creator of his own show now. Talks with Tony, which is a Patreon group focused on disclosure, consciousness expansion, and helping other people who are now coming to surface who have had similar experiences. So he hosts support groups created a course for others who suspect they have may have been involved in similar programs. So welcome back to Guys Guys Radio, Tony Rodriguez. How you doing, Tony? Hey, Robert. I'm doing great. That was a, that was a mouthful, man. What a long story. And I know that for somebody not, list, not familiar with the information that a few things you said would be like a turnoff or, you know what I'm saying, just sounds so fantastic. But it takes a long time to explain everything that happened. It was 20 years of my life. And then I came back to the same age I, I was taken, just the same night. And this is a phenomenon that's like pretty, <clears throat> I don't want to say it's widely accepted. A lot of, even in the ufology community, a lot of them are, uh, a lot of ufology is kind of pushed back against theory. But this is a technology that they're using. This is something that's real. They take people, they abduct them, they take them for a long time, and then put them right back the minute, only a few minutes after they were originally taken. So. Well, let's take a half step back and the big, big picture. Right now, it seems like, Tony, that there's a lot of information coming out now about UFOs. There's a lot of disclosure. There's been a drip, drip, drip. You know, it used to be in some of the crazy magazines or newspapers you'd see at the checkout counter in the supermarket, then into the more mainstream. And it used to be in the back. And now they're moving more towards the front of the tabloids. But there's information about UFOs. There's government reports coming out. Are you surprised that this is happening now, even though it's still kind of a drip, drip, drip process with the overall disclosure movement? No, I'm not surprised at all. It's uh, they have to they have to get in front of it because our technology, the astronomy, in particular, the astronomy technology has progressed. We we got the not only the James Webb, but many other telescopes that were designed years ago are are going to have the ability to detect life on exoplanets. So they, the, the, the discovery of exoplanets is pretty young in, in when you look at all of astronomy. And so we're to the point where just a few more years, you don't have to be, the government's not going to be able to keep a lid on it. They're going to know about life out there through just astronomy alone. So disclosure, they're kind of got their back against the wall with disclosure. And I think they're just trying to mitigate with these reports. 
Well, I'll tell you what's surprising about me, Robert. The thing that's very surprising about these reports coming out, because we just had a 1,500-page one a week, couple weeks ago, and that talked about abduction uh, phenomenon, people, unexpected pregnancies, radiation poisoning, on and on, for people that are having third, you know, abduct, abductions, not sightings, but abductions. And this was a government in the same, this was the same exact report. So this is the, the U.S. government putting their stamp on it. And we got the Will Smith slap on, and so all the news covered that. They did not cover the report that came out with the real, re, I mean, really shocking uh, evidence, not just the Navy filming a UAP or that they call it now, or, you know, not the Navy, but the thing that was surprising the most is that no one's batted an eye. These things were on uh, the mainstream news and everybody went, okay, and just moved on. And so nobody batted an eye. This is like groundbreaking. Our entire existence should be questioned because there are craft in the air that can outfly our best craft in the air. And so people, just that alone is when you talk about it in terms of national security, not only national security, but physics, but our sciences. You know, we trust our science. Look at, I mean, we just had modern science was off the hook for some very important issues recently that I'm not going to say specifically, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. Modern science was at the forefront of just trust us, we're the best, we're the smartest. And now they came out and said with these UAPs, we have no idea how they fly. We have no idea how to match their speed or their agility. We have no idea they were flying into at mock speed from the air into the ocean and back out again on camera from an F-16, one of the, some of the best camera equipment available. So our science is, you know, there's a, there's a bell, there are bells ringing. There's a red flag there and nobody's bad at eye. Nobody's like, nobody's put that together. We've been, we've been distracted so much that we don't, most, the average person sadly doesn't even care. It's, it really is amazing. Now you came to prominence kind of uh, initially a couple of years ago when, as I mentioned earlier, you had what's called a 20 and back and you were uh, recruited against your will as a young boy, about nine years old, into a program where you went into some types of different types of training and you were taken away from your family, I, I guess. And then you were sent to uh, different areas in the world, Seattle, Peru, to the moon first and then back and then out to Mars and Ceres. Now, this is going to sound like way out there for a lot of people, but can you capsulize this for us? What actually happened to you when you were a kid? I know, let me preface it a little bit to make it easier. You uh, didn't get along with a kid in school uh, and your your sense is that something happened with the family where they decide to have you kind of taken out of the picture and against your will enrolled in this secretive program. Right, so basically I, uh, and, and this is a this is a testimony that's come forward from many others too. With a, kind of the same scenario plays out, somebody that had access to these programs too, and we're talking about infrastructure in the solar system, and see black government projects um, and corporations dealing with extraterrestrials and trading their tech, access to their technology and actually infrastructure over the last hundred years that's built out into the solar system and nearby stars. So there are people among us, they, they're walking among us that know full well that this exists and have access or have served in these programs consciously and did not have their memories erased. There are many people in, in society in the United States that are fully aware of these programs. So somebody that had access to these programs, I went to school with his son and we did not get along. And I, you know, you could say I bullied him, but we just, we were rivals in um, the talented and gifted class. 
and he decided to teach me a lesson. And this is a common theme we hear a lot of people I've worked with since I've gone public. I've had people reach out to me with similar memories. And I worked with a few thousand people, and, and it's a reoccurring thing that, uh, you know, they, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's everybody. That's the big question. You know, okay, you were taken in the programs. You were abducted by aliens. Why? What, what do I, how do I get it? You know, how did you do that? What'd you do? And in my case, and in many cases, it's not a blessing. It's, it's more of a curse. It's a punishment. And I, I was taken to teach me a lesson. And, and I got to tell you that when I came back the next day, I was taken on a Thursday night and I woke up in my bed Friday morning. It was one night. But I did the 20 years and all the way back to my life. And I was totally lost in my life that next morning. Uh, when I came back, I was a changed person. I had been through a great deal of trauma. I had been through uh, slavery, slave labor. And uh, I had had that mentality that came back with me. So there was I didn't remember what happened. The memories were gone. But the emotional thing, the emotional side effects were still were with me that next morning. I was a completely different person the next morning. So what what happened like with your parents and your family life you were gone bang 20 years and you're back who did you did they wonder where you were did you wake up in your bed oh. then and you were 20 years older how, how does that all work? no sure okay yeah because it's a very it's a very confusing thing yeah, so right you know and then i i always say i, I like to throw the disclaimer out there you know if you go into surgery and get your pancreas worked on you know you were in surgery you know where the wound is but you have no idea of what they really did right. And so it was the same for me in this situation. So I know that I went, I got the memories back later on. I have a great deal of memories. There's a long story. There's a lot of different, there's like a perfect storm of how I got my memories back. I got the memories back. I know I was taken. I know I went and I came back, but how they did it is, you know, I, there were some medical procedures. There was, there was, there was high technology involved. So how they did it is, is kind of a mystery to me. So I get asked that all the time. Where, where were your parents while you were gone? This is, it doesn't make sense. I was taken. I believe that it would, they had a cloning, a form of cloning technology. And like they created a clone and they, it was a mindless and they have it. They have the technology to pull you, your consciousness, your awareness out of you and put it into a new body. That's part of their life extension technology. And uh, they put me in the clone and the clone lived for 20 years. And then they sent, either sent it back in time because time travel is a reality and then killed it. And I woke up with my consciousness back in my original body a few minutes later, just a few minutes after the procedure. And then they put me back in. Well, they they ran me through a few other things uh, through the blank slating, the blanking pro process. And then I woke up in my bed the next morning wondering what had just happened. And, I, I, uh, it's a very important point to make that if you think about this technology and what I'm saying in this regard, and you look back at all the old uh, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, if I'm saying they're right, you know, you look at all the old uh, ET sightings, everybody says, we saw an ET, the lights were on, there were lights, it was the craft, and then I blacked out and I don't remember. And also, I woke up and I felt different. I don't know what happened, but they did so. It was the same thing, but if you, what I'm, what I'm implying is those people may have been taken for much, much longer than they are aware of. So when the consciousness comes back, is it, and if it's kind of like, we're, we're kind of relating to this like software, how do you know, or do or, or did they, could they have edited your consciousness so you would remember certain things and not other things? Or was the blank slating part of that whole thing? Because it seems like everything's being treated like software, but is your consciousness really like software or, or, or not? 
to a certain extent, they tried really hard. They knew. So there was a there was a technology on the base during the return. The return was a long process. When I was done on Ceres Colony, they flew me back to the moon and it began. And the process began. And it was weeks. Um, but at a certain point, they had a device that could communicate with the future. So they had they could see probable timelines because, you know, they could get it down and they knew they saw at a certain point that I was going to get my memories back later in life. And they had to get it down to a certain amount of probable probability that I wouldn't. And so they took me in and I went through another round of the trauma mind control. They, they did a bunch of things to me. And um, it's, it's detailed in my book. It's a long story. I don't want to eat it up, obviously, in our time, but mm-hmm. it's detailed in my book, how it worked out. And like I said, there was kind of a perfect storm of how I got, how I retained the memories and really kind of, uh, you know, resisted that system because it's a full, it's a system. It's very effective. It's uh, absolutely amazing. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Tony Rodriguez, a survivor of the 20 and back program amongst others. And I guess uh, the next obvious question would be, why do you think you're being allowed to share a lot of your information with people now? That's another great question. I think that it was timing. And, um, you know, I don't want to get too far out. I don't want to scare people away. But I think that the space program, like I said, we're at our, our society, the technology is as such where even 15 years ago, the astronomy technology, you needed government funded. You needed that kind of level of, of you know, technology to make a telescope that could find life out there. Pretty soon, it's going to be something that we can wheel out of a garage. That, a, that an enthusiast could just build themselves and put a telescope to the sky and do and be able to do the spectrometry spectrometry. I was have a hard time with that <laughs> word, but they'll be able to do that with just homemade stuff and see, you know, for instance, methane in an exoplanet's atmosphere. Like astronomy is progressing the same way that computers do, the same cars. Everything is progressing tech, and we're at that level. So there really is no point in them killing off people like me that have come forward. And they've silenced people in the past. We all have seen it happen. And there have been people that came forward and made it quite far with being whistleblowers only to mysteriously vanish or or have untimely demises. So I think that it was a timing thing, for one. For two, I think that they began fighting each other. And we've seen that really bubble up to the surface. I mean, everybody has to agree that in the last five years, the world isn't really what it was before those five years. I really, the, the bar has been lowered greatly about, um, you know, everything across. We, what, we, what we're doing is we're seeing that we're seeing our controllers fight each other. That's really what we're seeing. When we're seeing the, the crazy things that are going on, I, and I don't, I, don't even, I don't even want to point a finger at it, but we all know what, we all know that things are not what they used to be. And it's actually gone kind of off the rails. And um, I think it's because we saw the control, the people in control, which are affiliated with extraterrestrial organizations that are also fighting each other for dominance, fight each other. And in that middle of that, they forgot about the little guy like me that, you know, I I got my memory. I got the bulk of my memories back after an incident in 2015. And I didn't start speaking publicly until like September of 2016. And since then, I, I think that, you know, they really let it go. And. Also, just in the last year, um, with all the censorship, we're starting to see the pushback. I'm, I'm starting to start. I'm just now starting to see the negative aspect portrayal of my testimony. Like, there's been a couple of uh, 
short videos like on TikTok and things where they cut up my testimony and make it sound really dumb. And it's got like 10 million views all boom, just like that. So we're starting to see the the you know the the mitigation of the information of the secret space program. We're starting just now. So they okay. it's kind of like they got back on track and now they're now they're getting up to business to guys like me on the fringe. So let's pull it back. So you were taken and you were uh before you were, you know, you went through the 20, you were I think one of the things you mentioned in your book is that you were you were greeted behind a, I don't know, a store or something, and two guys put you in a van, they gave you a shot, and the next thing you know, you're on your way to the moon. So what tell us uh briefly your kind of your trajectory, where you went, how long you stayed, and why you went from place to place, because it's such a it's not a glamorous story by any means. You were to the moon, you came back, they taught you different skills. You were in Seattle, you were in Peru doing some nefarious things, and then you were kind of sold into the program. And then next thing you know, you're back to the moon, you're in Mars, and then Ceres, and then back again. That's exactly right. And it's confusing, I guess. Um, when I woke up, when they put me in the 20 years, when it started, I woke up in Southern California in a military uh, uh, trauma-based mind control uh, program, in a military program, CIA program. I found funding. I found a lot of, it was a paper trail. Um, then I lived for those years, like you said, to Peru and Seattle. I was trained. What happened was they were training me for specific tasks. And when I got less uh, uh, effective at the task, they would retrain me for a new one because I was just taken and thrown in the program. I wasn't really groomed. Or, you know, I wasn't supposed to be a, a Marine or something. <clears throat> so uh, picking up where you said, like after Seattle, and again, during that time, I had no memory of my life. I had no memory of mom or dad. I had amnesia when I woke up, which is why I think it was a clone. That's the whole reason. Because I woke up with no memory of where it came from on day one and had complete amnesia of my home, or my, my family, all of that. I had no idea. And then at the end of the 20 years, I had all those 20 years of memory. Then they put me back and I woke up in my body again, a 10-year-old boy. And I had the memories of mom and dad and where I came from were all back. And then all the memories of the 20 years were gone. So it was as if I went back to my original body where the memories were staying. So that's that's really the leading reason why I believe the cloning part aspect of it. Um, they took me after Seattle. Um, there were a lot of factors involved. They said, we're going to sell you to the military. And I was, would have been about 16 years old in, in that time, you know, about six, about six years after I was taken. And they took me and, and like you said, gave me a shot. And I woke up on a craft on a large, probably triangular craft on the way to the moon. It looked like an airplane on the inside with military personnel, a bunch of people in, in uniform and was taken to a base on the backside of the moon. And uh, they gave me many series of different surgeries that, uh, and they wouldn't, there was no, <clears throat> there was no briefing of what they were doing to me. There was no, you know, we're taking you in to get this done. They didn't do any of that. They, they were ETs that were in the base along, working alongside military uh, personnel from the earth. And uh, they were doing sur they, surgeries. And then they, they gave me another bout of not exactly trauma-based mind control, but a different form of, uh, training where I basically, it was like they drugs and they put you in front of a, a television and like programming. A, like a computer yeah. programming and they gave me programming and it was about fight or flight response. It was not about combat strategy or how to, how to load, clean your field, clean your weapon. None of that. It was about not running from the face of certain death that it was fight or flight response. That's all it was. It was like, 
movies with multiple choice and replayed over and over again for days and days. Then uh, we were, they had an operational test. They put a, we, that was the first time I saw one of the larger insectoids that are out there that are, uh, that are also, they have uh, many of them indigenous on Mars. And there is indigenous life on Mars and there's actually quite a bit going on there. And I was flown to Mars on another, on another larger craft. And we went to Mars and we landed at a larger base that was underground, an underground city, like an underground hangar. And as soon as we got off there, I was put on a smaller transport, taken to a forward base. And it had to be, I, I would, I, it had to be somewhere near the equator because when we did do missions on the surface, it was warmer in during the day and it would get very cold at night, but it was, um, you know, like in the 40s and 50s during the day uh, when we would walk outside and we did hiking missions. We did missions and it was a it was a experimental program to put boots on the ground that were not trained, not equipped and not trained as well as the expensive soldiers that were alongside of us. So then we had a couple soldiers and, and six guys like me that were basically very minimum minimally equipped and trained and they were just trying to match the numbers of the insectoids that they were engaging in the the insects just had numbers on them so and then to get a fully trained marine with all the armor and everything they had to it, it was expensive it took took a long time that project failed and what they had concluded was that the insects um which were smart adapted to the tactics much faster than they were supposed to. They knew they would adapt, but it happened much, much, much quicker than what they expected. So they canceled the project. And again, I was all of a sudden, you know, without a job. So I, I think a lot of folks would ask, okay, Mars, I thought it was very cold there. Number one, did you have spacesuits on with the insectoids? Why, why were the, the forces you were with, why were, what were they battling over? Was it about mining? mineral deposits or what what was the why why were they fighting i believe it was territory i believe that they wanted to excavate they wanted to explore into territory into areas that the insects were indigenous and the insectoids are very territorial like if you cross the line into their territory they they become aggressive so and they couldn't kill all of them they would just had too like i said they said too many so they were trying to figure out ways to get in there and and you know um excavate or just do scientific research i don't know what they were really at. really it was classified it was above me um you know we got a few briefings on what was going on there but for the most part i was kept on a need-to-know basis and it was very little so you saw the insectoids there but you were on the moon prior to this and you mentioned other ets what was your experience in the different types of ets that we've all heard about like there's the grays and there's the dracos and there's the insectoids and there's blue avians and all these different types can you give us kind of a, you know, overview? So uh, there have been other people that have come forward with the name. So I, one of the things that, that was successful that I can't remember is I have a hard time with names, street names, ship names, um, all you name it, the names of the ETs, even though I know, I, I, I remembered speaking about them and knowing the names, like I, I knew the names, but it's just, that's part of the region of the brain. Um, there were taller, uh, look like grays but they were whites and um other people that have come forward said that that's called the sicar race and uh there were smaller darker gray beings there were small reptilian beings they were all working under the same corporate structure or under the same organization they were all like a you know uh, 
I don't know what to say it like like in like in Star Trek they were all working together for the same federation they were all in the same organization many different species um, there were insectoids but I didn't see them but they they told me that there were insectoids working there as well it sounds like there's but, uh, two sides to this like there's the I don't want to say the good guys and the bad guys but it sounds like from what you experienced and what I read that there was a kind of a the Nazi breakaway technology that went down to supposedly down to Argentina and Antarctica and is working with some factions of government. And then there's kind of the other side that are kind of fighting them. And it's both on planet and off planet. Is that directionally correct? That's pretty, that's pretty close. That's right. And you know what it is, is they're basically sponsored by different groups, By there are many groups that the biggest, I think the biggest uh, misperception we have nowadays, uh, even in ufology, is that it's very far away to get to that. That, that there's only a hundred species that are interacting with us, or two hundred, or that, and that's it. Because it's so far away that even when you get into space, you can't tell. That's not the case at all. When I worked on Ceres Colony Corp, we had access to pretty much the whole galaxy and other galaxies, and eight, eighteen or nineteen other galaxies, which would lead to each galaxy opening up a door, a portal to. 18 more galaxies so and they could go to other galaxies and back home in the same day so it's not space travel was instantaneous the science behind it was energy based uh, it was all based on the output of the power of the power source of the ship that could create a portal and then use natural portals to go to other galaxies but what i'm saying is that they're not they're not 900 species or 80 species they're, they're literally trillions of different sentient species that can travel to the earth and can pass through here and they are organized into groups uh, and they work together so that they stick up for it. Like we can't just go into space and go flying around without a sponsor of a more advanced group to kind of protect us. And so what you've got is the, the, the moon base where I was at, the people that took me were part of a larger group, the Drake, Draco, the Orion group. And we have other people fighting that are part from some other group. We have the other Federation of Worlds. There are many different other, there are many versions of that. And they're they're all they run like governments. So they they look bad on the surface and they look good on the surface, depending on what day you catch them. The Orion Group uh, admittedly doesn't see mankind as a uh, worthy species. You know, more of a more of a subservient species. So we have our standing with them, and that's about it. And other groups want to see us really kind of grow up and advance alongside of them. So there are different philosophies in play. But um, that's pretty much the situation is that in order for our for our government or factions or anybody to get into space and go to deep space, they have to have a sponsorship with one of these larger groups or they'll just get steamrolled they'll, or they'll get um, taken. They'll just take your ship. You'll fly into the wrong system and something bad will happen. You have to have a form of sponsorship to go into deep space. And so the government, the, the Germans at pro World War II. That's what emboldened them to begin World War II was that they made contact with these groups and got a sponsor and got into space. And so the United States was about, uh, you know, 10 years later, they got into space and they've been looking for an alternative ever since. And I got to think they found it. Wow. Just a, 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 amazing. I have so many questions. So forgive me. The series experience then that's in a different asteroid belt. What happened there? So you're in Mar you're at the moon. You got some training there. You had some surgery done. You did some fighting on Mars in your role and then you were sent a series what is series what was going on there i love how you're getting through this quick so it's a, there's a long story 
It's it's so it's a luxury. Now the first time I you know when I first met you and we did our show, I didn't have a book to direct people. I had to explain it all, and it's just so hard to do. Um, Series Colony Corporation is based primarily with Germans from post World War II. So they went to Antarctica and then they did go and create a they got jurisdiction of the Ceres asteroid and Ceres, the, the dwarf planet Ceres, pronounced Ceres like television series, but it's spelled C-E-R-E-S, or anybody doesn't know, is in between Mars and the asteroid belt. So it's not too far from Earth. Um, there was about a quarter million people living there full time underground in cities that were laid out all over the interior of the, the, the planetoid. And they had found infrastructure that was abandoned from a, some of the species was living was had built a lot of the inter- infrastructure there already, and the Orion Group gave them jurisdiction so that they could go there and start a colony. And they immediately moved in and began converting it to more human-looking uh, architecture. And there are in fact uh, replica cities of European cities built inside giant caverns that were once, uh, I believe, filled with water. They had water. There was a lot of water there. And they would empty water out of large caverns and then build into it. And there were places that looked just like Europe, just like a European city. Um, there was rust and there were there was a it, it was aged when I got there. And I would have been there uh look at the timeline eighty-seven, right around eighty-seven to all the way till two thousand was how long I was when I that was the time frame that I was there. And I worked there on ships. I worked on, a, on an earlier ship that was a converted submarine for about eight years. And then I worked on a trader, a cargo, uh, a freighter, and I did cargo engineering for them. And we traded with ET races all over the galaxy and other galaxies. And we, we traded goods for tech and techs for goods and, and cargo. And um, you say there, there was other, quite a bit that went on. When you say there were other people there, 250,000 people, were that humans or just a mix of different? Mostly humans, different- yeah. There were two other species that were there, but there were maybe a few thousand of, of them. <clears throat> Altruin, Altruin, like I said, I'm bad with okay. names, but okay. they were like a seven foot, like elongated skull with long hair um, species, and they did engineering primarily. And then there was another race there that managed all, all the businesses. Like uh, they were the they were the managers. You know, like we went to a restaurant. There was a nine-foot-tall being in the back that was doing the managing of the business. So they were all over the place. And then there were other species. There were many species that visited. So they were they were constantly courting other species, other um, groups, star systems, other species. They were constantly courting them to come and visit and do trade with them for the so that they could advance their technology. All of the all of the colonies in the solar system, and you know the Earth breakaway colonies. All of them are in a very de- uh, desperate race to acquire technology. And the easiest way to do that is to trade with extraterrestrials, not develop it yourself. Mm-hmm. So they were all very desperate. That was the, totally the name of the game. It was not to seek out new life, new worlds. It was about acquiring new technology, period. And then at that point, when you were done with that part of your mission, you were sent, were you brought back then to Earth, to your, to your body then? That was the end of your first 20 and back, or was that the only 20 and back? That was the only one uh, okay. that I'm aware of. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so what happened? Yeah. At the end of that, I uh, unceremoniously, they walked, I had an officer walk me to uh, a different part of the hangar bay. I showed up for work in the morning, got off the train and went to go to my ship, to my end of my entrance of the ship and go to the mission briefing. And there was an officer waiting there and he walked me 
uh, for quite a ways uh, to another hangar bay, and I got on a smaller disc, an older disc, and flown to the moon, flown to the backside of the moon, and they began the the return process to put me back. And eventually, like and like I said, that process was a lot. I lost track of time, but it could have been anywhere from a couple of weeks to a month of time that that whole process took took place. And when it was over, I woke up the next morning in my bed back in 1982. How old were you? Total. Totally bewildered. I was 10 years old. So it was the it was the school year of 81, 82. And it was like in originally when I got my memories back and I did, you know, got my timeline figured out. I said 81, I was nine years old. But what I what I realized is that it was in April of that year. So I'd already turned 10 and it was 1980, like it was after New Year's. So it was 82, April of 82. Um, but I woke up, man, and I still remember thinking where a being excited when once I figured it out, I thought I I thought it was a trick. You know, I woke up back in my bed and I thought I had been tricked somehow, and I didn't know why. I didn't have any memory of what happened. But I looked around and I was unfil. I went. I had my toys on my floor. You know, I had toys. You know, the Stretch Armstrong and the Legos and all that. And I walked over to them and I started looking through them and I went. I remember it. You know, like it. it, it I, I had the sensation of being gone all those years. But I didn't have the memories of being gone. It was the strangest feeling. It was the, you know, the time, the the passage of time was still there to me. So that's another part of the phenomenon. Like I don't know how it works, man. I just don't. But that's I lived those twenty years first, and then came back and lived my years since then. It wasn't like back and forth or or, um, you know, like I lived these years all the way and then got the memories back. It was like those years happened first. So however the tech works, I don't know. Let's just go back to the moon for one second because. I'm sure people are curious as to like, wow, I, you know, people look up to the moon and there's romance and this and that. And I know we only see one side. The moon kind of goes around us in a way where it doesn't seem natural because it's not spinning. What, what is actually from your estimation going on on the moon? What is the moon? Is it hollow? Is it, what, what is it? It's probably hollow. Uh, There was a lot, there were, there were, I was aware that there were greater security clearances the lower you went and there were, catacomb-like structure of of caverns. So one of the base the one of the bases that we went to, I came back years years into my service when I when I got to Ceres Colony, and I started working on a cargo on a, it wasn't a cargo ship. It was a it was an old submarine. It was an older ship. And about four years into that service, we went back and I volunteered to do dangerous missions so that I could get a, hopefully get a promotion. We went back to the moon and we went inside a cavern and then down to another level that a lot of people were not even aware of was there and it had higher security clearance. And so the moon has, as you go deeper into the moon, there are different, um, you know, species there that are in, that are actually administering the things that are going on closer to the surface. And that's where the human bases are is, you know, close to the surface. Um, the one building at the very end um, during that time, when, like I said, when they had the when they discovered the probability that I was going to get my memories back, they took me to another area, uh, an office, and it was a corner office, and I could see the lunar surface. So it was a building that was a, on the lunar surface. You know, I believe the trapezoid-shaped building um, that was on the lunar surface, and I could see out. It was dark out, but I could see the mountains in, in, in the background, you know, in the distance, and. Um, so there's a lot going on there. The moon is a, is is an ideal vantage point for 
for us. Right? Controlling the planet, <laughs> if that's what yeah. you're after, if that's what you want to do. Uh, and uh, tidally locked. So there's a lot of there's a lot of tidal locked um, bodies in space, which none of it makes any sense to me. But apparently, so over time, that's what happens. But it's very convenient for them if you wanted to put bases. And in fact, you could you could they can they can uh, use radio signals and everything. We we would never know. They can broadcast from the back of the moon. We would never ever know. It's absolutely amazing. Well, Tony, you've got great information here, and there's so much more. And forgive me because we had to kind of skip over a bunch of things and really not drill down. But I want to do more. We, I want to do a second segment. But you have your own show now. It's called uh, Talks with Tony, and you actually work with a lot of people who have had similar experiences as you have. What are the similarities that you've heard, and what are some of the things like, wow, I never knew that, and how it all kind of comes together and adds up? Well, um, it all kind of fell in my lap. So when I started speaking publicly, I would get people on through Facebook or, you know, email me and start asking and say, and say, look, I don't want to talk about this publicly, but I think I went through the same thing that you went through. Can we talk? And in the beginning, it was like it would take the place of phone calls or just emails back and forth. People wanted to investigate. People wanted to ask me questions. They were like, you know, skeptical. And I like a good amount of skepticism. It'd be weird if people weren't skeptical. Uh, so in the beginning, that's how it happened. But what happened was it really started taking off and it was like, I couldn't keep up with everybody. And I started noticing when I talked to people, I was just, you know, back and they'd ask me questions. I asked them, I was curious. And what, what I noticed was that similarities kept popping up for people that had radically different experiences. And, you know, there's a, there's usually something at the 20 year mark there. Nobody's a one and done. There's always, um, not always, but there's quite often there's mom, dad, grandpa in the Navy, in the military, they're, or they live near a military base, or, you know, they're in Maryland somewhere, or near Montauk, they're in New York. There's a lot in New Jersey for some reason, you know, um, but um, I get to talk. So what I, what I found is that you're talking about long-term memory. So, and then this is, it. so my, my original slideshow when I did live talks is, uh, my story. So slides that, and I say, I started here and I went to Peru and I did this and I ended up here and like the whole story from A to B. So now my slideshow is kind of more towards how long-term memory gets recovered because that's really what I discovered um, by what I went through and what I've done. And short-term memory works like this. So you, you have a chronological, you have a timeline of your short-term memory. So if I ask you, where were you yesterday morning? Right? You know what I'm saying? When you left the house yesterday morning, where'd you go? You know this because you still have today's memories. You have an address of that time that you left in your mind. It's fresh. So your short-term memory works that way. It works very good. And we use that the most. It's the strongest muscle of memory. Long-term memory doesn't know when you left the house. It just goes, now, when did you leave your house in the morning? You go, man, I, I used to leave. Some days I did it this. Some days I did that. So your long-term memory is like sketchy. And so what I've discovered is just you can draw timelines. They can say, well, when did it? I always start with like, you know, where were you born? When did it start? What's your earliest memory? Where'd you go to school? What happened? What happened? What happened? And, I, and while they're telling me this stuff, I'm ready. When, and I said, excuse me, when when was that? Just roughly. And what I found is that there's usually a pattern gets established that is cyclical, that people, nobody, and it doesn't matter what, if it's secret space program or just an ET abduction or whatever, angels, all of it. Um, when they When they talk to me, I, there's a cyclical pattern. 100% of everybody I've ever talked to, it's not a one and done. Nobody sees a craft or sees an ET, a gray or whatever. Nobody witnesses one and has contact or something in their bedroom. 
and then it never happens again. It's, it's always a reoccurring theme for them. And because the ETs are not locked to the clock like we are, they can, they can, they can interact with you in 1980, and then they can interact with you in 1990, and then they can go home. It's all one day for them, but it's two separate instances for you. And what I found is that they're locked into time travel is on a 20-year degree or 20-year pattern as well. So when I start asking people things, I can actually predict the next thing that they're going to tell me. So people, they start telling me, and I go, wait, 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 wait. So tell me about what happened in 2010. And they go, wait a minute, how'd you know? Because it's on a clock. There's a pattern. There's a pattern to all of the contacts. Like in my instance, I was taken in 82. 2002, I had a behavior change. Well, it was like 2000, the long story all works out. But I had it 20 years later, I had a behavior. When I was taken, I had a behavior change. And when the 20 years was up, I had a behavior change. And I found that a lot of people that are in these programs, excuse me, a lot of these people that are in programs, that I suspect that are in military programs go through the same thing. They get taken. They have a, they, I was a straight A student. It's a, over and over again. I was a straight A student. I was the best student. Boom, this happened. My mom had started drinking. And I went to D's and E's. And then later on in life, and I go, what, what? Then I predict the 20 year mark at the future. I go, what happened? They go, you know what's funny is that's when I started going, I got, I got a divorce and I started taking better care of myself and I went back to school. And you know what I mean? Like you get those kind of life changes, like, like clockwork for people that have been, you know, um, involved. Do you do you get any more contact now, Tony? Is that part of the paradigm? I tell you what, I sure hope not. Um, okay. I uh, I I don't think that I have since 2015. I think when I first started talking about this, I did have any, uh, contact, and then I got watched. I, I I probably always get watched, and then not only that, but because I speak publicly, um, every Tom, Dick, and Hacker hacks my phone or my email. I get links, and I get all that quite a bit. Are you based on if there's a lot of battles going on behind the scenes, because a lot of things that are happening right now, Tony, as you know, don't seem to make sense to a lot of people. Are you optimistic about the outcome? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, um, I'm forever the optimist, especially after what I've, I've learned, after what I went through the hard way that, you know, there's always a brighter day to be had. I'm not doom and gloom right now. The world's in a rough place. There's wars. There's a lot going on. Um, I think they're birth pains. I, I think either way, we got to get a disclosure. And once the cat's out of the bag, there's no stopping it. You know, like people are going to have to go through a major shift in what our existence is. And no matter what, ha- if the good guys, go, and I hate getting, I hate even hate the term good guy or bad right. guy. I really, the worst guy is not that bad. You know, his mom loves him. And the good guy is not that great. He's made somebody mad. So, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. thing about, it's about perspective. So, if the good, better guy wins, we're going to get disclosure. And if the bad guys win, we're going to get disclosure. And there's no stopping where it's going to go. You know, like mankind is going to advance. But that being said, there are some telltale things. There's some canaries in the coal mine. We're seeing the, the power has to change. we got to get away from the fossil fuels and just more efficient like power use. Like that's kind of like a requirement to be sponsored by one of these groups for one. And uh for me, and this is this is only my opinion. I'm going to say this as with as big a disclaimer as I can. But the canary in the coal mine is cryptocurrency. If they ban crypto, then I think those are the bad guys. And I think if they leave crypto be, it's a it's a currency that works among other species. So you could trade with other worlds cryptocurrency. You can't take all your gold with you. You can't take your 55 billion dollars in gold to 
to space with you. It's too heavy. You can take $55 billion of cryptocurrency to space and that's how they trade. It's one method of trade. And so if if they take our crypto from us, like what, what we've seen in China and I believe Russia, then that's somebody that wants to control us and has no intention of letting us into space. So cryptocurrency is a canary in the coal mine. Okay. Tony Rodriguez, my special guest on Guys Guys Radio. Terrific job. His website is Tony Rodriguez with a G.com. His, uh, his show is called Talks with Tony. Just Google him. You can see him interviewed all over the place. He's doing terrific work. I hope you'll come back again. Thank you so much for being on the show. Great to see you again, Tony. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Stay safe. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what a mind-blowing conversation. Probably the first in a series that we'll do with Tony Rodriguez about what he claims is his experience with the Secret Space program being kind of taken and enrolled against his will into a program where he was trained on planet Earth as well as on the moon and then deployed to Mars and to Ceres to work for 20 years in the Secret Space program doing all kinds of stuff as kind of a mid-level not even mid-level, he considers himself, he was kind of a quote-unquote slave, as Tony would say, and was really just uh, doing menial tasks and administrative duties with a freighter. I think on Ceres, he was working on a freight ship, and then on Mars, where there was some type of battle going on between Earth interests and those indigenous insectoids who are supposedly on Mars. It's just wild, wild stuff. So, what did we learn today from Tony? I think we learned that like, wow, there's a lot, there's a lot of information out there that we're not too up to date on. And even with all the disclosure that seems to be slowly but surely happening, we're getting more and more information that says, hey folks, you know what? We are not alone. Now this could be a good thing. It might not be that good a thing. And there could be a lot of different forces looking at our planet and saying different things about it and having different different interests in what goes on here. So it's just something to be aware of that people are talking about this. Now, whether you believe it or not, or just say, I don't wanna know that, that's up to you. What I do here on Guys Guys Radio, I'm gonna bring folks onto the show who have a story to tell. And with Tony, as I asked him, like, why, why have you been allowed to do this? And he, he seems to claim that it's been out there and they're allowing him. And now in his practice, he's finding more and more people who have had similar or are recalling similar memories and of experiences and situations that mirror what Tony went through at, at all different levels. And if you watch Gaia and some of those disclosure shows there, there's other folks who have come out and have different things to say. And we'll see if we can get them on Guys Guys Radio because it's always interesting to hear what may be going on behind the scenes and what circumstances may explain all the crazy things that seem to be occurring in the world that we see and how it's fed to us through our mainstream media. So Tony Rodriguez, interesting guy, interesting story. We're going to hopefully have him back on the show with some other folks. And we do it every Wednesday on KCAA Radio in Southern California at 8 p.m. Pacific Time. The podcast, my YouTube and Rumble, all post worldwide on Thursdays. The KCAA show rebroadcasts every Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. So you have no excuse not to be able to find Guys Guys Radio because we're on terrestrial radio 
We're on a worldwide podcast in over 100 countries. We're on YouTube. We're on Rumble. We're all over social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. My website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, wellness, health, relationships, sports, spirituality, longevity, sex. We cover it all. It's all for free on my website, robertmanny.com. You can also download three free chapters to my novel, which has now kind of become the source material of everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. It's about two men in advertising in New York City competing for love, for sex, for power, for money, <laughs> all the fun stuff. And you get a kind of a peek behind the curtains into that weird kind of odd world of modern men and their dating habits and their business behavior and how they roll as friends with each other. You know, guys are not really like the four ladies in Sex and the City. We don't sit around drinking Cosmos talking about our girlfriends. That's not how we roll. Men are more lone wolves. We will share some information when we have something important to say or ask of our friends, but otherwise we pretty much do our thing and you get that in the book, but it's a very blue sky story, very upbeat, and it's about something. So it's a fun summer read. Check it out. You can get it on Amazon or any of the other ebook retailers, and you can get the digital version or the physical copy. And you may find it in some bookstores, but it's been out for a couple of years, so the best place probably to find it is online. You can read all the reviews there. And again, you get three free chapters on my website, robertmanny.com. We had an amazing show today with Tony Rodriguez. I'm doing my best to bring you more and more really interesting guests who have some new information to share that will make us think and consider what the heck is really going on out there. And it's up to you to determine if you believe it, if it's right for you, if you can get something out of it to help improve your life. And that's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you so much to my guests, including Tony. Thank you so much to my wonderful producer, Chris Marcello. And of course... Thank you to my listeners and viewers out there. You guys make it all worthwhile. I love doing a show. I'm back next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Finish first.